0: Whoa, amazing time of worship this morning. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Carlton. Thank you all so much for leading us so well. Well, good morning, church. How are you all doing this morning? I'm so grateful to be here uh, with you all this morning. We started this series in Esther last week, and... um, I am excited to continue it. I heard such good feedback uh, last week as you all were processing uh, what God was speaking to us. But the series is just focusing on God's sovereignty, who God is, how God moves, and how we can trust him um, in times of uncertainty. And so last week, we talked about this idea of remaining faithful under pressure, how do we remain faithful under pressure? And we discussed this idea that just before breakthrough is when we experience the most pressure, right? It is just before that moment where we know that God will come through or God does come through that we struggle. But even in that space, I invited us to sit in the tension of that We looked at Mordecai last week in the book of Esther and talked about how he mourned openly uh, for what was happening uh, to his people. And so we just talked about what does it mean to sit in the tension when we don't always know? What does it mean to sit in the tension of of uncertainty while we trust God? And so we're going to pick that up. Um, today and just kind of talk about uh, the rest of Esther and kind of what how this story unfolds. So if you have your Bibles or your gadget, whatever you have with you, and I use the New Living Translation, I want you to go with me to Esther chapter 4. And I'm gonna start at verse six. And typically what I do is I read and I pray and then I get into the message, okay? So that's how we are gonna roll this morning. Is that all right? All right, I love it. Um, Esther chapter four, verse six, and it says this. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. <laughs> Mordecai told him the whole story including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathash a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all the Jews. He asked Hathash to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked that Hathash Hathash to direct her to go to the king and beg for mercy, and plead for her people. So Hathash returned returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathash to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter and the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. Verse 12. So Hathash gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Uh, Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Verse 15, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat, Or drink for three days, uh, night or day, my maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I must die, I must die." Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you so much uh, that you are a good father and you love to give good gifts. We thank you, God, for the gift of this day. This is the day that you have made, and we have already begun to rejoice and be glad. in it. we ask that during this time, Holy Spirit, would you come in this place and really saturate us during this time of the word. Uh, Draw us in deeper, and may we be even more steadfast, God, and committed to your word. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week we talked about this story of Esther and we talked about how in this story there was a man who didn't like another man. <laughs> and this man Mordecai just happened to be a Jewish man and so there was a plot that ended up unfolding against all the people who were Jewish in this text and at this time. And so what ends up happening is Mordecai, the Jewish man, where all of this began because he would not bow down, he would not keep silent, right? Uh, Where all of this began, he goes to his niece his niece's daughter, essentially, because he raised her, he, he was with her, and she is the queen uh, at this time. And he goes to her and says, listen, you got to do something about this. And Esther, who is the queen, is unsure about Mordecai's invitation to say something. As a matter of fact, Esther, as she is sitting in the comforts of the palace, actually wants to quiet Mordecai because he is openly mourning about this destruction, this impending doom that is to come to the Jewish people. And Esther says, you know what, well, go give him some clothes, hate thatch. That is one of her servants, and she sends him, go give him something to wear. Tell him no need to mourn. Give him something else to put on. As a matter of fact, as I'm looking from the palace, I don't want to see him mourning. I don't want to really acknowledge that or feel that grief. Tell him to put something else on. Mordecai sends a message back through Thatch and says, listen, Don't think for a moment that because you sit in a different place in the palace that you'll escape this same doom. As a matter of fact, perhaps this is divine. Perhaps God has placed you in the palace for such a time as this. Isn't that interesting, because Mordecai refused to keep silent. He gives a message to his niece, the queen, to say, perhaps God wants to use you to use us to do this unlikely thing. We're going to talk about the reluctant heroine today the reluctant hero in you today, the reluctant person that doesn't necessarily wanna pivot forward much like Esther. But what happens if you are in the face of something where you have to make a decision, where you have to move on something, where you have to choose a position to stand, on, right? If you don't stand for uh, something, you'll fall for anything, right? You remember that? And so uh, Esther is there, and she doesn't want to really be in the midst of this. She doesn't really want to be there to make a decision or do anything. She lacks that sort of eager spirit we see in the uh, book of Isaiah, right, where when God calls out and says, whom shall we send? Who will go for us? Isaiah jumps up and he says, here am I, send me. Esther was doing the opposite of anything. Maybe we could imagine her sitting on her hands going, no, not me. I would rather not. This zeal can be absent, you know, the zeal that we see with Isaiah in our day-to-day lives for all sorts of reasons, right? But when I evaluate my moments of reluctance, when I think about others whom I've had a chance to walk alongside of and counsel, the main reason for absence of zeal is fear. Fear that my world, as I know it, as I enjoy it, as I am comfortable in it, may be disrupted if I decide to take a stand. (laughs) Yeah. And we see this same dilemma with Esther. We see uh, this tension that she's walking, this tightrope um, that she's walking. And though the book is named after her, most of the story up until this point is told about her and not from her. It's told about her and not from her. But in this chapter, that shifts. We now hear uh from what has been this quiet, unassertive, acquiescent character, we now hear directly from the mouth of Esther. And here's the thing, I believe she would have remained quiet. She would have remained in this place where the story was being told about her, where she was just a character in it, but she shifted uh, to the main character in this chapter. It was time for her to pick up that main character, energy. Y'all know what I'm saying? (laughs) She picks up... The energy here, she becomes the main character. Why? Because there was a national crisis. Her people had been sentenced to a nationwide annihilation, and initially Esther notices and even reaches out about what's happening. She sees her people, she sees her uncle experiencing these things, and she, she even says, can I do something? Can I get you something?" She even sends him clothes by her servant. She goes, what can I do? How can I help? She's trying to go above and beyond. She she essentially, though, is trying to get Mordecai to kind of silence this morning, though. Can you just get a little quieter? I want to help, but the only way I can really help is if you can be quiet first. (laughs) I can help Mordecai, but uh, can you quiet it down a little bit? Esther is going because my once protected, privileged place in the palace is now being disrupted by the sounds of unrest and uneasiness. Your cries, Mordecai, your screams, your protesting, it's disrupting my view. It's disrupting my comfort. Don't call me to help those in need. Don't call me to help those on the margin if I have to give up my seat of privilege. Can I get an Amen. Y'all just thought Esther was gonna be a regular sermon. You was gonna skip in and skip out. And uh, here we are talking about privilege, praise God. (laughs) But it's due to this persecution that Esther, the, the, the pressure comes where she has to pivot into making a decision, right? She can no longer go, don't worry about the persecution. She can't go, don't worry about it. The government will take care of it, Mordecai. Don't worry about it. Let's just rely on our elected officials. They were the ones who were putting this into effect, right? They were the ones that were purporting the policies that were actively working against the people's freedoms. They were the ones that were shaping policies around dollars instead of people. Esther was trying to say, don't worry, they may have our best in mind. Have you been in that place of privilege before? Have you been in that place of comfort before where you look upon someone else's misfortune and you kind of turn the other way? Let me give you an example, okay? I, we were in Minnesota before we got here. And so there were a couple of things I forgot about as we relocated to Chicago. And the main thing I forgot about is how wild these drivers are in these streets. You hear me? So, um, I I mean, as uh, Brother Carlton said earlier, I need to repent because my road rage kicked up a notch. I I didn't say, oh, let me be careful. Let me get in this lane. I'm like, get out of the way. Can you see? You know, can I just be honest? Um, You don't want to ride with me, okay, on 94. You don't want to do it. But one of the things I forgot about, almost At every exit, at every drive that I take, there is someone, whether I'm in the city or the suburbs, there is someone with a sign at the exit asking for money or food. Can I tell you what's the most uncomfortable, typically money, but can I tell you what the most uncomfortable thing is? You know, I try to get in the lane where I won't have to drive by them. Can I be honest with y'all this morning? Y'all not judging me? I can't really tell, because everybody has on a mask. So I thank God for that this morning, and this bright light right in my good eye. But that's all right. I'm trusting y'all are not judging me this morning. But sometimes, does anybody else do this? You get in the other lane, you know, and you justify it. You know, going, you know, I don't have cash. You know, they can't swipe anything. Um, You kind of make excuses. But one time I was driving and I'm getting off the highway and I pull up right next to the man as he's asking for money and I was hoping y'all that I would catch the light. Like it would be green and I could keep going I wouldn't have to stop right there. And I would have run it, I would have, to avoid this discomfort. But you know what y'all have here that Minnesota does not have? Them young red light cameras, okay? (laughs) And what I didn't want was a $500 or whatever they charge in Illinois for a ticket, okay? I said, you know, that's, that's rent what they charge y'all for tickets. I mean, it's a car note. You're like, okay. So, I, so I couldn't run the light. <laughs> All kinds of, y'all are wondering, who did we call here to pastor us? And, and I sat there, and I averted my eyes. Because there was a place of comfort that I was in, that to look at this person in need, like really look at this person in need, would have disrupted where I was sitting. Can we be honest this morning? We've all done it before where we know someone, or you've been like me, maybe one or two people. Is there one or two people you've done that before? Yeah, okay, thank you. I'm so glad that I'm not the only sinner saved by grace this morning uh, who does that, right? But we've all been in a place where we've averted our eyes, averted our attention to remain in our places of comfort, to remain in our comfort zone. But eventually, there will be times where you cannot avoid it where you will have to sit, where you will have to ask yourself, am I going to be the person that comes out of my comfort zone to give willingly to the other? Esther had to ask herself this. Esther had to ask herself, am I going to be willing to get out of my position? Am I going to be willing to rock the boat? Am I going to be willing to have somebody else's best in mind? Am I going to be willing to shake things up? Am I going to be the one that puts the Black Lives Matter sign in my yard? Am I going to be the one—I uh, uh, mean sackcloth, not Black Lives uh, to put the sackcloth on, am I going to be the one that talks about it, or I'm going to say all lives matter? Y'all like, man, who did we get in here this morning? But listen, I want to tell the truth, because the truth will set us free. The truth will move us forward in power, and there will be a presence in our community where they look and say, who are these strange people doing these strange things, walk reconciled, arm in arm, saying that they love Jesus, who are they? Not enough people in the world are asking that question of the church saying, who are they? Esther, estranged from her culture because of her position, estranged from her people. Initially, Esther said, it's a pass for me. I'm going to keep moving because of where I sit. I'm going to keep moving because of how I'm educated and where I sit on the socioeconomic uh, scale. I'm going to sit here. I'm not going to do anything. It's a pass for me. You know, a while ago, I read this book called The Vanishing Half. Great book. But the book is about two biracial sisters um, who grew up in the South during the time of the civil rights. Just before that, actually. And one of the twins chooses to embrace their, thank you, chooses to embrace their culture, to embrace the Black experience, yes. And with choosing to embrace that Black experience, she experienced the consequences of that as well, the challenges of that. But then there was the other sister who was able to pass, this this was a thing, who was able to pass as a white woman. And so she chose to enjoy the privilege, the comfort, and the power that came with her complexion, okay? And the book talks about how these two women's lives progressed in very different ways ways and what they got to experience and how they struggled and it talked about the one sister and how she never gave in to even admit to her own husband and children that she actually was biracial, that she actually was viewed or would be viewed as a black woman because of the percentage of black she had in her blood at the time. She refused to tell anybody because of the privilege and the comfort and the power meant more. And before we judge the character in this book, or even look at Esther with eyes that are judgy, yeah, and say, Esther, that's kind of cringy, right? That's what the young people say. (laughs) They say words like cringy, is that true? Niece and nephew, no, okay. They just corrected me. It's not giving what it's supposed to give. I know they say that. Okay, my nephew's like, yeah, okay, you got that right, TT. Okay. But sometimes, if we're, if we're real about it, we as kingdom people, as God's people, we say we'll take a pass on that, yeah? And I'm not just talking about things like, you know, uh, God, I know you say be holy for I am holy. I'll take a pass on that. God, I know you say, repent, oh, I'll take a pass on that. I'm not talking about those types of things, because we've all had those moments where we've said, you know what, I'll pass. And as kingdom folks, we can do that sometimes, especially those of us who have the privilege of not being associated with the pain and the discomforts that come with being on the outs and the margins, but passing is a pseudo experience, right? It's meant to just temporarily pacify, but eventually, just like in that book that I read, The Vanishing Half that I just referenced, eventually you'll find yourself at the crossroad of risk and ruin. You'll find yourself at the crossroad of risk or ruin. Mordecai was really clear with Esther. He he said, listen, don't you think for a moment that just because you're in the palace that you too won't be destroyed. He said, listen, either you risk it all and go before the king and use your power, use your place, use your privilege, or you'll be ruined too. Listen, there will come a moment kingdom people well, we will either have to risk or be ruined. Verses 13 and 14 in Esther chapter 4, Mordecai said to his niece, don't you think for a moment just because you sit where you sit that you won't feel this pain. And then he gives a famous challenge. He asked, or a famous statement, and he says to her, perhaps you have been chosen for such a time as this. Can I say that to you today, church? Perhaps you have been chosen for such a time as this. This very one that we are in. Perhaps you've been chosen for this. Mordecai tells Esther, he says, listen, are you really refusing to speak up? Are you really refusing to show up for your own people? Can I tell y'all something? We all need a Mordecai. We do. We do. We all need... Mordecai. We need someone or something that'll call us to the carpet, who won't let us rest in the palace, who'll say, I know who you are. I know what you're capable of. I know that access to resources you have, let me remind you who and whose you are. Someone who is willing to risk ruining their relationship with us to see us do the right thing. And because he did this, because he took the risk, Esther said, I'll take the risk too. Sometimes. The other person is just waiting for you to risk. Mordecai did, and Esther said, "I'll take the risk too." Esther shows up in a way she didn't even know she could show up. She showed up in a new way, and I mean, this was a huge risk for her. She's a young woman. She's like in her late teens. We are uh, thinking she she is in this place. She's not fully even experienced in life. She's a woman, which is unheard of at this time, who is willing to go and speak to the king. She has never had to leave or speak up before. She is married. The king, y'all, is more or less a crazy man who exiled his last wife. I don't want to play with you. But Esther says, I'll risk it, <laughs> oh. And I like what Esther said. She said, but do this for me, see, because I understand the power of prayer. Do this for me because I know my God. Do this for me. I want you to fast and pray with me. Yeah. There are some situations that have a weightiness, right, that cause— for some next-level breakthrough. So we got to do some next-level sorts of things, right? Um, uh, uh, She says, I need God to annihilate what's trying to annihilate me. So there will be times, and Esther recognized this, there will be times where we need to go beyond just an answer beyond just a word where we really need a breakthrough moment in a breakthrough word from God. There are times where we have to shift from our normal sorts of praise and worship postures to really press in to put pressure on the, in the spiritual realm. We got to do some things sometimes. We got to praise to pry some things open in the spirit. Esther understood if you fast and pray with me. See, because the kind of breakthrough I need is not any old kind of breakthrough. It's a turnover a plate kind of breakthrough. Deny myself some comforts. Kind of breakthrough, sit in silence, all by myself. Kind of breakthrough. Have any of you ever been on a silent retreat before? Okay, not very many. They're not popular, (laughs) and they're not popular for a reason. When I was in seminary, I went on one. That was my first one, and my last one. For 24 hours. On this beautiful grounds, Google just had to be quiet. You saw people you couldn't talk, and everybody knew, you know, you were there for a silent retreat, (laughs) and I couldn't talk to anybody. I had to sit in silence. And in that silence, you're confronted with all kinds of things when you sit quiet. Can I tell you all something? This is how, you know, why if I told us right now to let's just sit in two minutes of absolute silence, you would understand why people don't do silent retreats because there's a discomfort that comes with silence. Why? Because then we're aware more so than we were of everything that's around us. Esther said, I need to sit in silence because the resolve that I need is not just going to come from the regular sorts of things that I do. Sometimes we need that turn off our ringer, stop notifications, stop talking to everybody about it kind of strength. Esther says, fast with me. And can I just make an observation? Isn't it funny that the very customs that they were criticized for, right? Verse 8 tells us when we read last week, their customs are different. This is what Haman says to the king. Their custom are different from all of the other people, but their customs would be the thing that God would use to save and deliver them. Hear this on today. You are God's very own. You are God's child. You don't have to conform to the ways of this world. You don't have to change. You can be the change. You don't have to change. You can be the change you can be the difference if you are willing to i'm about to start landing the plane here <laughs> y'all like the pilot sort of analogy but i i feel like is this is this a good word or what yeah <laughs> okay two people are really enjoying this message today. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, it says, then the king will say to those on his right, come who are blessed by my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For when I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the least of these, you were doing it to me. I think most of us would agree that we have a clear problem in today's society. When we look at all that is happening in the wake of a pandemic, in the wake of police brutality, in the wake of violence and lost lives, the question becomes, will you mourn with your brothers and sisters? Will you pass or will you be present? Because here's the truth. We need you. I need you. I need my brothers and my sisters. The kingdom needs us. God needs his sons and his daughters, to stand up, to stand in, to stand with, to stand with one another. I wanna close with a quick excerpt uh, from Malcolm Gladwell's book, David Versus, Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. But in his book, he tells the story of a small French town under German occupation in 1940 who took in Jewish immigrants seeking refuge from Nazi persecution. They escaped to this small town... (laughs) And what started as a trickle, just a few Jewish men and women and families, eventually turned into a poor, where more and more people began to come to this town. And as more and more people came to this town, Jewish persecution was actually intensifying at this time. Then one day, an order was sent to institute more anti-Semitic rhetoric throughout France, and eventually those charged with this order arrived to this small French town. And when they arrived to execute these orders, they were greeted by a group of youth who carefully recited the words of a letter they had drafted saying, we believe in welcoming those fleeing persecution. So we feel obliged to tell you that there are among us a certain number of Jews. It, we make no distinction between Jews and non-Jews. It is contrary to the gospel's teaching. If our comrades, whose only fault is being born into another religion or race, right? received the order to let themselves be departed or even examined they would disobey and we would try to continue to hide them as best we could and then that excerpt in saying we have jews and you are not getting them when i say we need you i need you we need one another to stand up, to stand in, to stand with and to stand among. We need the spirit of Esther where we're not just a character in the story, but we become the main character. Where we move from a posture of passing to choosing to be present. Are you willing to be present, I know that's a big ask, and I don't ask it lightly. But if you're here in the space this morning or watching online, and you go, man, I wanna be present, or I have been present, and I wanna be more present, I wanna embody more of what I see Esther doing. Here's what I want to do because I too believe in the power of prayer. I just want you to tilt your head down really quick. If you're going, yeah, I need more of a posture of being present, or I need the posture to be present in ways that I have not been. If you've given over too much (laughs) to ignoring the things that you ought to be focusing on. And that isn't just politics. It isn't just a world pandemic. It could just be your family, your children, your marriage, your church, your community, whatever. And you know that you need a more of a posture of being present. I just want to pray for you this morning because I believe in the power. Ah, God. Of prayer God I thank you for every heart in this space whether with us in the building or virtually and I thank you God for the posture that they are assuming saying God help me to be more present and so God I stand in agreement with them. We as a community, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we stand together saying, God, help us to be present. No more passing here. Help us to be present. Help us to call on your name. Help us to call on the traditions and the customs that we have put aside, God. Help us to fast. Help us to pray. Help us to seek Your kingdom above all else. Lord, we thank you that you'll give us the resolve. You'll give us the reach. You'll give us the courage. You'll give us the grace. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you are going to help us to be more present.